to take a moment and express to God our desire to be open and sensitive to the ministry of God's Word this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that the church is built on the rock, the rock being Christ. And we know that one day in the future, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We praise you for the power in that name. And as we discuss the portion of scripture that reflects Christ, we want to be open and sensitive. We want to be those who are hearing, applying, and sensitive to your transforming us into greater and greater Christ-likeness. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Imagine with me that you are the parents, Butch and Jesse, of a daughter who is in the hospital, anticipating a surgery that is to come in about an hour, a surgery that will save her life, a surgery that must be done within the next 12 hours or she will die. As you are patiently waiting for the surgeon to come to operate on your daughter, another person comes into the hospital and the surgeon chooses to devote time to the person who came into the hospital to operate on something that is not life-threatening. And in the process, your daughter dies. How would you respond? In Mark chapter 5, we find the account of Jesus going with Jairus to heal his daughter, who was sick. And in the process, there's a lady comes along and touches him. And she is healed, and he ends up communicating with her. And then some men come and say, Jairus, don't bother the teacher any longer. Your daughter has died. Let's read about it in Matthew, or Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 21. <clears throat> Mark 5 and verse 21. And keep in mind as we discuss Mark that the 12... Disciples, apostles continue to be with Jesus. And we find that Mark is continuing to unveil Christ, who he is in his identity, his character, and his being. That being done through the works that he is doing. And last Sunday we used an illustration of the walls of Babylon. The walls of Babylon were some 300 feet high, 800 or 80 feet wide at the base but they had some 35 feet below the ground. That was the foundation. So that that which is above the ground could stand. So as we discuss Mark, we're comparing Christ's identity, his being, his character, to that which is below the ground. Above the ground we find his works, his healings and so on, demonstrating who he is. Mark 5 and verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers, named Jairus, came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. 
And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she thought in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, the disciples answered, and yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said, Talthaikum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Here we find two stories working together. Mark a number of times has what we call a sandwich style. He'll start one story, then another one comes, and then he finishes what he started. We have the healing of Jairus' daughter begun in chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. Then we have the hemorrhaging woman comes into the scene, and she is healed. And in the process, the girl dies, and then we find the healing or the raising of the little girl from the dead. Beginning of a story, another story comes in, and then the ending of the first story. R. Kent Hughes says concerning this passage, and I quote, the display of God's power in this text involves two contrasting segments of society. On one hand, it focused on an outcast woman who has been suffering a disastrous hemorrhage for 12 years. The hemorrhage rendered her ceremonially unclean in the Jewish society, which meant that she was a transmitter of uncleanness to all who came into contact with her. If she had been married, she was likely now divorced from her husband. She was ostracized from normal society and debarred from temple worship. Her desperate situation had driven her to pursue medical help 
she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, end of quote. The Talmud listed all kinds of ways for this woman to be healed. And I quote, take the gum of Alexandria, the weight of a small coin, of alum of the same, of crocus the same. Let them be bruised together and given in wine to the woman that has an issue of blood. If this is of no benefit, take Persian onions, three pints, boil them in wine, and give them to her to drink and say, arise from thy flux. If this does not cure her, set her in a place where two ways meet, and let her hold a cup of wine in her right hand, and let someone come up and frighten her and say, arise from thy flux. In another place, the Talmud said, or recommended that an afflicted woman carry a barley corn which had been taken from the droppings of a white she-donkey. You know, today we do the same thing. For years I've had some physical problems, and I've heard others, you know, as they get through physical problems, and someone will come up and say, have you tried, have you tried, have you tried? This woman probably had tried all of those remedies, had spent all she had, yet grew no better, but grew worse. The contrast is a prominent family member, or a fam prominent family, I'm sorry, Jairus, leader of the synagogue. Many scholars believe he was the head ruler of the synagogue. If so, he was the president of the board of elders and responsible for the conduct of services. He was a man of wealth, a man of prestige, but he was equally great in his need. His 12-year-old daughter, Lie, dying. Probably been the joy of his life, but her life was about to be snuffed out. Parental love leaves a parent wide open to the towering joys and the deepest sorrows. Some of us have known what it is to have a convalescing child and wonder if she is going to make it. Parents will do anything to save their children. So here we find two desperate representations of society. One rich, the other poor. One accepted, the other an outcast. One with family, the other alone but both beyond natural means. They were both bankrupt. They had nowhere to turn. They both turned to Christ. There's some common elements in these two accounts. Both are accounts of females healed by Jesus' touch. The woman's illness and the girl's age are both 12 years and in both accounts, Jesus is met by rebuke. In verse 31, that should be verse 31, not 17, as appears on the wall behind me. What do the disciples say? You see the people crowding against you, and yet you ask, who touched me? You know, the disciples are basically rebuking Jesus. And when Jesus goes to the home, he went in and he said to them, as they're crying and wailing over the girl's death. Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. In both cases, 
There's some jeering, so to speak, at him. The events in this passage are taking place. One in the syn- or a, with a synagogue ruler, and then one with a suffering woman, and my mind just drew a blank. They're taking place in Capernaum. And he did a lot of ministry in Capernaum up through chapter 5. Now, it's interesting that this synagogue ruler comes and he says, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Now, as we think about the overview of Mark, earlier in Mark, Jesus was in the synagogue in Mark chapter 3, and there he healed a man with a shriveled hand. And the Pharisees and the Herodians plotted together how they might kill Jesus. Whether Jairus was involved in that or he saw it, we don't know. But his experience with the synagogue was not good to this point. But anyways, the synagogue ruler comes in distress, pleading for help. So Jesus went with him. I remember, you go back a few years ago, when I got a call from Bud. And he said, Pastor, would you pray for my granddaughter, our granddaughter, McKenna? Diagnosed with cancer. And some of you have been through that with a child, and your immediate response is, what can be done? We'll do whatever is necessary. We find the ruler of the synagogue is doing that. He's desperate. And as Jesus goes with him, we, as we read in the account, a woman thinks, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. What does she do? She's able to push her way through the crowd. And the idea pressed is, you know, it's a crowd where people are close together. And she pushes her way through and reaches out and touches his garment. Immediate, she's healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Now the word suffering there, and is also mentioned in verse 34, is a very graphic expression It means whip, lash, scourge, or torment. The term combines the physical suffering and the shame that was involved in this woman's life. In verse 26, the woman's condition is stated as having an issue of blood, having suffered from many doctors, having exhausted all her wealth, having not improved but gotten worse. The same verse mentions that she suffered from many physicians, exhausted all her resources, and gained nothing. She's no better off than the dying girl. According to the Torah, a woman woman was unclean for seven days after her monthly period. But if she had a protracted problem, 
as this woman did, she remained unclean for its duration. Anyone who came into contact with her during her menstruation would be banished until evening. Josephus' testimony, a historian around that time, said that the temple was closed to women during their menstruation. Indicates that that was true for this woman. So for 12 years, she lived in a state of uncleanness. And immediately, she was freed from her suffering. Immediately. Complete healing. And what is Jesus' response? Who touched my clothes? Jesus was persistent, just as the woman was persistent. He was persistent. Who touched me? He wanted to know. And the disciples, you know, kind of jeered him, you know. You see these people crowding around you, and yet you ask, who touched you? But verse 32 says, Jesus kept looking around to see what or who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told the whole truth. I'm the woman. I touched you. I was healed. And Jesus' response to her is, Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. And it's interesting, the very next verse, in verse 35, while Jesus is still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? These men are coming to Jairus. They're not speaking directly to Jesus. They're speaking to Jairus, and they say, your daughter's dead. Why bother the teacher any longer? And what does Jesus do? He ignored them. Ignore means to overhear something not intended for one's ears, to pay no attention, and to refuse to listen or to discount the truth. He responded to what they said. And he says to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. R. Kent Hughes says, and I quote, we must not miss what is happening here. Jairus came to Jesus with an uninformed, wishful belief that Jesus could heal his daughter. That belief elevated through Jesus' exchange with a woman. But now Christ challenges Jairus not to believe him for a healing, but for a resurrection. This is a radical call and a radical development of Jairus' faith. It is one thing to pray for your child's healing from a life-threatening disease. It's quite another to stand over her cold body and pray for immediate resurrection. Don't be afraid, just believe, said Jesus. Be believing, keep on believing. And Jairus, however stumbling, did, for he and Jesus and the three disciples, the inner ring, set out 
for the leader's home. End of quote. And when they arrive there, and Jesus, again, taking only three of the disciples, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They arrive at the home of the synagogue ruler. And what do you have when there's a death, especially the death of a child? There is commotion. There is crying. There is wailing. And Jesus comes in, and what is his response? Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And the people responded just as we would. Ha, ha, ha! She's dead! They knew she was dead. Wasn't any question about that. So why wouldn't they laugh? Why wouldn't they jeer at him? Why wouldn't they deride him? He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't respond to them. He doesn't say, you're wrong. He knows what he's going to do. So after he put them out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, verse 29 said, immediately her bleeding stopped. Immediately, in verse 42, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. Immediate. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And then told them to give her something to eat. But they're astonished. Astonished means to be beside oneself. They were jeering him, laughing at him, making fun of him. She's not sleeping, she's dead. And now they're astonished. Beside themselves. She was dead, wasn't she? Now she's standing. By the way, when someone is near dead, and a couple moments later they're standing up, something miraculous happened. Jesus raised her from the dead. But they're astonished. The miracles of Jesus seem to result in astonishment. People are beside themselves. They're not grasping what is happening. When you take the two accounts of the healing of the woman with the bleeding, the raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead, we find that they're common in the sense that both had no hope apart from Jesus. But other than that, their stories are very far apart. Jairus has a name and a position. As a ruler of the synagogue, he had enough clout to summon Jesus to his house. The woman has none of these. Her name is not given or remembered. She has no position. Her only identification is her shame, a hemorrhage, 
She must approach Jesus from behind, whereas Jairus approaches Jesus face to face. Jairus, in other words, is a person of status and privilege, but in typical Mark fashion, he does not hold an advantage regarding the one that matters. It is a woman who ex exemplifies faith, and in this respect, their roles are reversed. Despite her embarrassing circumstances, she pushes through the crowd and the disciples to reach Jesus. Her gender, namelessness, uncleanness, and shame, none of these will stop her from reaching Jesus. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. When Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe, how should Jairus understand the command to believe? What kind of faith should he have? The answer is that he must have the faith that the woman has. The woman exemplifies faith and defines faith for Jairus, which means to trust Jesus despite everything to the contrary. Two bankrupt people, in spite of their backgrounds, are on the same level. The woman with the bleeding is on the same level as the ruler of the synagogue because they're both hopeless. You know, that's the way we humans are. As we understand Christ, we're on the same field, on the same ground. Someone with great authority, great wealth, and great power is no better than the person who is the scum of the earth because both must come to Jesus bankrupt. I'm in sin. There's no hope. And I think in this passage, Mark is seeking to communicate Uh, missing it. But Jesus is seeking to communicate, as Mark writes, that I am who I claim to be. I am deity. I am God's son. My healing, my raising the girl from the dead acknowledges that. Now think about who read this. The book of Mark was written to the Roman church as they received this letter and as it would have been read to the body of believers and the believers in Rome going through persecution for their faith, some of them dying for their faith, others being persecuted strongly. And they hear about Jesus raising the girl from the dead. They hear about Jesus healing the woman that had been bleeding. And they think, this Jesus is who he claims to be. If he can heal the sick, if he can raise the dead, he is the Son of God. And as we go through this persecution, we'll remain true to Christ. It goes back to Christ and who he is and remaining true to him. A conviction that Christ was the Son of God. Think for a moment about believers in various parts of our world today who at this moment are being persecuted for their faith. 
Some of them have no written scripture as we have. And suppose that they come across the Bible or someone comes and gives a Bible and they hear the account of Mark. And as it's, they're reading or hearing Mark, they come to Mark chapter 5. Jesus healed the woman. He raised the girl from the dead. We might die for Jesus, but we'll die for him because he is who he claimed to be. A conviction of who Jesus is enables us to stand strong in the trials of life. Jesus being who he is and doing from his being resulted in the crowds following him or coming to him. If families, local churches, citizens, neighbors, employers, employees, students are being what God has called us to be in Christ, we're free, not slaves, and walking worthy of the calling, will there be open doors due to questions to share Christ? Jesus in his life, his actions resulted in people coming to him. Jairus, the bleeding woman with bleeding, an application. As we live at our faith in Christ day by day, convinced that Jesus is who he claimed to be, and we live that out in our families as a body of believers, as citizens, as neighbors, as employees, and so on, will that open doors to talk about Christ? As you read scripture, it seems like as we walk with Christ, it transforms how we live 24-7. And that leads to opportunities to talk about Christ. So you go up to P&G, <clears throat> and a co-worker of Rick says to another co-worker, I don't understand this dude. He must have hide inches thick because he doesn't become angry and yell and scream like the rest of us. So they get together and they say, we're going to poke this guy to see how thick his hide is. So they intentionally, verbally say things to him to get him upset. And Rick just... Christ is my life. Christ is who he claims to be. It's your spirit that is at work within me, producing me, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, and so on. And finally, they say, Rick, we don't understand you. What's wrong with you? There's nothing wrong with me. Jesus changes, is changing me. See, the life opening the door. Jesus' ministry his miracles opening the door for further sharing of who he was. We have a travail. <clears throat> who's lost her husband. Who desires some things for her family that not, may not be reality at this point. And 
some other struggles along the way. But yet she continues to reach out to encourage others by visiting them. Opens her home and invites people in for meals and invites people in to pray. And the neighbors are, what's wrong with Travala? She has enough problems in her own. What should she continue to do this for? And finally a neighbor says, Travala, have you lost it? Shouldn't you be discouraged and disheartened? Well, maybe you think I should be. But Christ is my life. He is at work in me. Think about your life. Where you live, your neighbors, your co-workers, other students. The way we live opens doors. Maybe we won't see the door. Someone else might walk through it. But it comes back to a conviction of understanding Christ and who he is and standing firm no matter what. As we think about the thrust of this passage, let's make it our desire to be faithful until the Lord calls us home where Christ returns. And as we're striving to be faithful, reflect upon the coming of Christ. Jesus is coming again. Travis?